Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, October 19th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 1 to 49. The Lord recites for Ezekiel an appalling account of two sisters who turned their backs on the only true God to engage in the worst sorts of adulterous idolatry, with the false gods of the nations. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It's always fun times walking through the Scriptures with you. That's right. Even a chapter like Ezekiel 23, as we will see this morning. So, Pastor Hull, as we get started, thinking about the prophet Ezekiel, any context on him as a prophet, his ministry, what he's been preaching up to this point that'll help us into this chapter. I mean, you have a lot of apocalyptic, apocalyptic, yes, narratives throughout Ezekiel. You have a lot of repentance language because yet again, he's preaching and he's not preaching to just two sisters in this chapter today, but he's preaching to the northern and southern kingdoms, going after other gods, following the ways of the world, and he's calling them to repentance. So you see this narrative throughout. And so many other chapters in Ezekiel, it's always repent, and God is the one who's still seeking you. He doesn't leave them alone, but he does preach like you have. This isn't the first time in this book that he's preached very, not just crass, but very graphic language. You see this in chapter 16 prior to this, when he's trying to wake everyone up almost out of like a self-righteous piety. So it's a beautiful thing that he's doing um, here. Pastor Hall, just a couple of things before we jump into this text, and it is a significant chunk of text we've got today, but just by way of introduction, one, as we encounter in Ezekiel again, very uh, vivid, even crass, shocking language. Ezekiel's not the only prophet to do this, but he certainly does it, I think, maybe more than some others. When we encounter that kind of language in the Scriptures, why does why does the Lord choose to give us that shocking language that's sometimes going to make us say, I can't believe that's in the Bible? Well, it's to wake us up. It's to wake us up to the the reality of our depravity. We get so used to it. We We numb ourselves. I can't remember which theologian said it in the early 20th century. He said the the church in the West, America especially, we won't be persecuted. We won't be overcome by some foreign invader, but the church will kill herself via apathy. We just won't care. We'll, We'll be used to all the things going around in our society. And this isn't anything new. This happened in the Old Testament. It happened in the New Testament. And God uses these graphic declarations to wake us up out of it. It's kind of like a pastor if he's preaching and all of a sudden he sees everyone kind of going out, daydreaming a little bit. Maybe he'll pause or say something to bring everybody back a little bit. And that's what you see here in Ezekiel 23, especially is God through his prophet trying to wake his people up to the problem they're in. 
The other question in terms of just introduction is we are going to encounter in this chapter a picture that we've seen elsewhere in Ezekiel and elsewhere in the scriptures where idolatry is described in terms of adultery. Why why do those two things go together here in this chapter and elsewhere in the scriptures? I believe the best way to approach that is looking at Ephesians 5. You look at Christ being married to the church, God being married to his people. And when we then go and worship false gods, idols that we've created with our own hearts and hands, we are entering a relationship with them. It's not just a simple, okay, I made a mistake. It's it's forsaking God, divorcing God, separating ourselves from him, and uniting ourselves to these fallen things, these idols that don't do anything for us, but just drain us. And it's the same in an adulterous relationship. You're in a, a marriage, and every marriage has its ups and downs. There's a reason for the vows we take for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health. But that's when you also say, till death us do part. Because you realize there's going to be times in your marriage where, hey, we're, we're not as in love as we were on our honeymoon or that first year. Now it's, you know, 20 years later and we have kids, we have problems, we have financial problems, emotional problems, mental, we've gained weight or we've lost a lot of weight, whatever's happened. But all that person who at work, they understand that, and I have fun with them. No, you're not having fun with them. They're just draining you. They're taking the the joy you do have in your marriage and sapping you of it. And that's all an idol does. It doesn't give you anything. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't live sacrificially for you as your Lord Jesus does for his bride, the church, for you. This idol does nothing but drain. And it's the same with the one you're cheating with, the one you're abandoning your spouse for, thinking this other person is giving me something when really they're not. And we, we are certainly going to see how the idols that both the northern and southern kingdoms turned to drained them and for which God brought judgment upon them. So we've got 49 verses here in Ezekiel chapter 23. Let's get started. We turn to the text. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. There were two women, the daughters of one mother. They played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There, their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms handled. Ahola was the name of the elder and Holabah the name of her sister. They became mine and they bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Ahola is Samaria and Aholabah is Jerusalem. I'll pause there, Pastor Hall, because that really introduces the yeah. two sisters. And then one by one, Ezekiel will take up the two sisters. So in these opening verses, uh, what do we learn? What's what's Ezekiel doing in these first four verses? One, he's waking you up pretty quick here. It's not, he, he uses a lot of words here that anybody's going to pay attention to. There's There's a reason probably why this doesn't appear in the lectionaries. You know, the pastor right. doesn't want to read this on Sunday morning at the eight o'clock service while everyone's kind of a little awake from their morning coffee. Definitely not at the late service after everyone's wide awake after a donut, you know, and then the boom, you have this very graphic image of these daughters. And when you think of daughters, you think of purity. You know, I have four sons, a daughter, my wife's pregnant with our, our fifth son. But as I see my boys, I, I know this is bad to say, but it's just honesty. My sons, I kind of expect them to do dumb things. They're boys, not to be terrible people or sinners, but I almost have this bad view of my daughter where it's like she can do no wrong. She's my little princess. 
you know, the daughter born after four boys and the her brother say she gets away with a lot more because I have this image of her as this little, little beautiful thing that can do nothing wrong. Hmm. And when you see these verses starting up this chapter, we have this image of daughters in our head. And what does Ezekiel call them? Whores. I mean, I know how I would be if someone called my daughter that I'd be furious and, you know, just enraged to the point to where I couldn't be contained. Because how can you call someone that? These two daughters of the same mother whoring themselves. And then he has this language of breasts. It's very, very graphic. And it, it shows you just how damaging idolatry is to God. What this does to God. It's not like God ignores it. It's heartbreaking for him. Just the same as it's heartbreaking for a father if this is how his daughter is. Yeah, I, I think the the just to wake the people up to see just how damaging their idolatry there in Egypt was is back in chapter 20 where Ezekiel talked about the idolatry that happened even while they were slaves in Egypt. And, oh, it seems innocent enough. No, it's it's not. And this chapter really, it, as the way it starts, wakes the people up to say, no, this is not an innocent thing that happened there with the idolatry in Egypt. It damaged you then. And as we'll see, the way they continued in that idolatry and even built upon that idolatry was only further damaging in this very shocking way. In, in terms of the, the two names that Ezekiel is given for the daughters, he identifies them very clearly in verse 4. Ahola is Samaria. Aholabah is Jerusalem. Do you have any idea why, why those two names are, are given here rather than just simply saying Samaria and Jerusalem? I like, and this was one I did have to go look up, so it wasn't just off the top of my head, but I looked up the, the terms for this in the, the Hebrew dictionaries or lexicons, right? That's our lovely terminology for them. And these names have that one word, tent, that is for both of them, a tent of meeting. It's an abode and it's amazing when you invite someone into your tent or you go into someone else's tent, you have that adultery type language there. But it's even more than that. It goes to worship the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. This is where God abides with you and you abide with God. And when you have these two terms, it's more than just these two daughters, Samaria and Jerusalem, making a little mistake. It's them living in this. It's them identifying with this. It's the same if you go to someone's house, you're identifying with that person and they with you. So that's why you, every name means something and it's teaching us. What does the one mean is, um, uh, what is it? I had it written down in my notes here. The a whole, a whole law is her tent. And then what is it? A whole billa, a whole billa, a whole a whole is, ah, uh, where, where did I write it? My tent is in her. Right. That, that's what I, I found, too. Yeah, I'm reading from Dr. Hummel's commentary on the book of Ezekiel, and, and he suggests oh, yeah. those two meanings as well. And, and I mean, I think, you know, the, the way that you connected it to certainly the tent of meeting, the place of worship, that's what we're talking about here. The way that a tent is a place where you live and dwell. And then even the, the two meanings, a whole lot, you know, her tent, when you think about Samaria, the northern kingdom, their problem all along throughout their history is that they don't have the Lord's tent. They don't have the temple right. in Jerusalem. They build their own shrines. <clears throat> Whereas Jerusalem, they do have, you know, my tent is in here. The Lord's 
dwelling place is there, and yet she's going to misuse that. So yeah, these these two names are intended to to shed some light on what's going to happen and what the sin that's being committed is. So with that introduction, the first four verses, Ezekiel is first going to turn to the sister Samaria, Ahola, and describe what her sins are. So we continue now in verse 5 of Ezekiel chapter 23. Ahola played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. She did not give up her whoring that she had begun in Egypt. For in her youth men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness, they seized her sons and her daughters, and as for her, they killed her with the sword, and she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her. That takes us through verse 10 of the text, and that deals with the the older sister, Ahola, Samaria, the northern kingdom. Ezekiel's primary focus, as we're going to see, is with the younger sister, Aholabah, Jerusalem, because he is speaking to exiles there in Babylon who are from Jerusalem. So he's really going to be dealing with that. But he does give these few verses on the northern kingdom. So, Pastor Hull, what, what do you see in these verses that we need to pay attention to as Ezekiel describes the sin of the northern kingdom? Well, I love it's this reality, too, of, as I mentioned earlier, the idols pouring their lust into you. And it's not that we're innocent in this, but the reality that we continue chasing after, it's like a, a girl dating a guy that's good for nothing, who just uh, mentally and emotionally abuses her, and, he, and she keeps coming back for more. But she won't realize this, this guy isn't for her. And that's with Samaria even. And you see this constantly with Samaria, even Christ sitting there. That's the beautiful part of certain chapters, like John 5, when he's talking, the woman at the John five woman at the well. John four. John four. Four. John four. Why did I say five? I don't know why I went with five. Silly goose me. But you have the the woman at the well, the Samaritan. You have the the one leprous man that's healed. That's a Samaritan that comes back to Jesus. And it's just this beautiful thing of yeah, he rescues some, but you still see this nation of people just going after one that abuses them because God isn't there. So they're just going to keep receiving. The, as it says here, the pouring out of lust onto them. Right. I think, and this is something I, I picked up on a little bit later when we get into the younger sister Aholaba, that uh, on this, this idolatry, on the one hand, the idols will defile the worshiper. And on the other hand, the worshiper is defiling herself or himself. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's interesting how both of those things go hand in hand, because I think that's the way you started. You know, it's it's not that the people of Samaria are innocent in this, but there is, right. the, the idols are doing something to the people, even as the people are defiling themselves by engaging in idolatry. And it it ends up being this awful downward spiral of, of just, you know, def- one defilement after another that invites the judgment of God, and, and that is what the people of Samaria end up receiving here by the end of this part of the text. Well, exactly. You see that the judgment had been executed on her, 
And yet again, it's a call to repentance. He, he's not comforting Samaria no. in any way, shape, or form here. This is a call to repentance. And that's one thing to really teach congregations today, too. Your pastor is called to preach repentance to you, to call you out of the darkness and into the light of Christ. And if he waters down that darkness, not that he has to be completely like bombarding you in the pulpit, but he's also not going to dance around it. He's not going to remove sins because it makes you feel awkward. He's going to name things and call you out of it. And he does this out of love. Now, that's hard to see, though. And I've said this to many people nowadays. It's because we don't see the spiritual life as the life. It's an aspect. I have. I have my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, and then I go to church for my spiritual well-being. No, this is for your well-being. This is why we call you to repentance. It's not just so you don't get condemned. It's so that you can actually live a good life while here on this pilgrimage. We're calling you out of this because it's good for you in every single way. But is the pastor seen as that healer, that man who cures with the word your whole what does it say? Suke in the Greek, right? Your whole being, your whole life, not just a part of it. I think that that's particularly evident in this part of the text that this, you know, this call to repentance is certainly that's a spiritual reality, but it is intended by God to give his people a good life in totality. And I think the way that that's particularly evident here is when you look at how Ezekiel describes the Assyrians after whom the the kingdom of Samaria you know went after they look really great on the outside it's it's not i mean at least the way ezekiel describes them here is it's not like they're going after you know gutter trash or something like that they're going right. after the choicest of men and this seems like oh what what bad could come from chasing after these wonderful you know governors they're clothed in purple the the horsemen all these choicest men what bad could come of that that's the way that that we would look at it in our sinful nature which is a spiritual thing but it's going to have you know quote real life effects and and so when the the preacher calls to repentance is something spiritual happening? Well, of course, but it, it's intended not just for, like you said, a one siloed aspect of your life, but it's intended to be a whole life. This is God giving you his goodness in totality. Well, exactly. And that, that's why the preaching of repentance, calling you out of something, is that great thing. If you weigh 425 pounds and your blood pressure's through the roof, you may be upset for a minute that you can't have triple cheeseburgers for every meal anymore, but you're eventually going to listen to your, your, your physician, your nutritionist, who says, eat this instead, you know, because it's better for you. You're not going to die tomorrow if you do this. Whereas with your pastor, when he says, hey, that, that bad, even that bad theology that you grew up with, that you, you cling to and love so much, that's not good for you. Have this instead. You're, you're furious with him. How dare he question my worldview, my spiritual wor- worldview? No, he, he's, he's helping you. He's doing this for your good. So take it in the same manner you would your, your physician who is doing things to make sure your liver and your stomach and your heart and lungs work well. 
So Ezekiel does that. For the people who are in exile currently, he first lays out, this is what has happened to the northern kingdom, to Samaria. And of course, Assyria did come in 722, 721 BC. They wiped out the northern kingdom. That's the judgment that was executed upon her. Ezekiel gives us that in verse 10. That's what he has to say about the older sister, Ahola, Samaria, and then he turns to the younger sister, Aholabah. And so we pick up the text again now in verse 11. Her sister, Aholabah, saw this. She became more corrupt than her sister in her lust and in her whoring, which was worse than that of her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way. But she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, wearing belts on their waists with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land was Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her, as I had turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth, when she played the whore in the land of Egypt, and lusted after her paramours there, whose members were like those of donkeys, and whose issue was like that of horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth, when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. Right, that takes us through verse 21, Pastor Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets it gets worse. This is probably the of of this chapter. This is the most graphic, I think, of of the the language that Ezekiel uses. In, in verse eleven, what really stands out to me is how Aholaba, the younger sister, gets to see the example of her older sister, and gets to see the adultery, what that adultery led to in terms of just those terrible effects that idolatry brought, and then the judgment that the Lord brought. The younger sister got to see all of that. And rather than seeing it as a warning, learning from it, and repenting, they actually built upon that foundation and took the idolatry even further. It's very—it's not shocking to to see this. You see younger siblings always imitating their older siblings, and it's like, well, okay, they got away with it this time. So, or hey, I can learn from their mistakes. They made this mistake, and— got this punishment so maybe it won't happen to me maybe mom and dad are kind of tired by now they're tired of punishing they're just done for the day and they don't have the energy to deal with me that's why it's always like the oldest child is like you were so harsh on me by the time you got the kid seven you were just done so you let them get away with murder while me i was punished even if i sneezed too loud and this reality is the younger one thinks, okay, I can get away with it. So it's the looking at it. But it's also the reality God saying to, to Jerusalem, there's more expected of you. You saw this. I gave you this example so you'd learn from it, and you didn't. You, you took my teaching, and you disregarded it, and you even went further. And that's the other problem. This is why I tell my sons, Sometimes, why don't I get upset at someone else's kid? Well, they're not mine. I didn't instruct them. But with y'all, I know what I've taught you. And I, you know not to do this. 
God has taught Jerusalem and Jerusalem disregards. So not only is it she goes after these other gods, she knows in a more intense way that it's not right. Heard the word and disregards it. Well, and that, and that's where her name comes into play here. A whole above, meaning you know, my tent is in her rather than just you know her tent. That this is Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord, the place where the glory of the Lord dwelt among His people, where sacrifices were offered that preached the coming of the Christ and and His blood being shed to forgive the sins. Where that was happening, even in that place this idolatry grew and grew. And it, I mean, that that does make the the sin that much more heinous, despicable. And, and I think you see that in the way Ezekiel describes it in the, in the language that he gives, just, that, just how wicked the southern kingdom was in building upon this idolatry when they'd seen what had happened to their older sister and they'd been taught there at the temple who they really were as God's people, and they just threw that away. Well, and that's we get examples of like examples of this, like in Romans two, where Saint Paul says, "You, you who say not to lust and yet you do; you say not to steal and yet you do." The household of faith, the children of God. I mean, there is that reality. You hear something on Sunday and then you go and do it anyways. It's it's Ezekiel trying to wake them up as a pastor preaches to his flock. It's not that, okay, somehow you're holier than someone, but at the same time, yes, you are. You've been claimed. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You're a child of God. This isn't how you act anymore. This isn't who you are. And when you do this, you're you're declaring yourself to be someone else. You're uniting yourself to someone else. You are not of the devil. You are of Christ. And that's how we live. And how depressing. I mean, these words could be preached to the church today. These, these words could be preached to the Missouri Senate today. We know better. Look at the great heritage we have in the Missouri Senate, the great faithfulness to the Word of God, not just C. of W. Walther and Winnikin, but then going down through the centuries, going through the 20th century, the battle over the Bible, men like Kurt Marquardt, Robert Preuss. You, you have these great men of the faith, and, and now what do we do? We read Missouri Senate pastors. I was reading one book the other day. I'm a Missouri Senate pastor talking about colleagues being female pastors, women pastors. And I'm like, this is preposterous. Now, if I was reading some ELCA theologian, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be like, okay, you should expect this. But from a Missouri Senate pastor, you're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying this? Give me a reason for why you are going after this idol, which is the idol of popularity. If you write something, you want it to be read by more people. Therefore, you say this statement. Why, how is that helpful? How is that not an idolatry? How are you not doing what Ezekiel is condemning here and calling to repentance in the 23rd chapter? Yeah, certainly a call to repentance from the prophet Ezekiel to those who should know better, to those who have the word of the Lord and yet chase after idols, a call to repentance for you and for me and for all the church. We're going to pick up more of this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel chapter 23 with Pastor Chris Hull. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 19th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 1 to 49 with Pastor Chris Hull of Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we were in the first part of Ezekiel's conversation about Aholabah, the younger sister, Jerusalem, who has seen the example of her older sister, and rather than learning from it and repenting, she has built upon that idolatry and gone even further. The other thing that stood out to me in this section, and perhaps it's simply because we we recently read Psalm 25 and studied it in our adult Bible class here at Grace, is the matter of she remembered the days of her youth. She remembered the idolatry of her youth is mentioned in this section. David mm-hmm. David prays for the Lord not to remember the sins of his youth in Psalm 25. And, and here the people of Jerusalem take the complete opposite approach, and they remember the sins of their youth and then not only commit them again, but commit them in even worse ways. And I, so again, you, you see, it's it's not simply just a matter of the outside defilement, which certainly is is here, but is also the sinful nature of the people themselves continuing to build upon that sin rather than seeking to repent of it. Well, exactly. And that's the, the comparison with Psalm 25 is beautiful. What does David have? Is, David has a penitent heart. He's been crushed. And he desires God not to look on these, whereas Jerusalem here, there's nothing. This is, I'm doing nothing wrong. In fact, I'm so in love, a lustful love with the world. Why would God ruin my good time? Why would God get in the way of me being happy, (laughs) doing what makes me feel good? And that's what you see here. Right. Yeah. And again, we, as we said earlier, why would God get in the way of you feeling happy? Well, because sometimes your sinful nature thinks it will find happiness in something that's completely destructive. And and the right. same was true for the northern kingdom. It's true for the southern kingdom as well. So Ezekiel continues. He's He's laid out the sins now of the southern kingdom, the gross idolatry that has happened there. And now he going, he's going to begin to speak of the judgment that's coming, just like he did for the northern kingdom. So we're picking up now in verse 22 of Ezekiel. 23. Therefore, O Aholabah, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you turned in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side, the Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekod and Shoah and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders, all of them, officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you from the north with chariots and wagons and a host of peoples. They shall set themselves against you on every side with buckler, shield, and helmet. And I will commit the judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. And I will direct my jealousy against you, that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears, and your survivors shall fall by the sword. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured by fire. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewels. Thus I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt, so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt any more. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will deliver you into the hands of those whom you hate, into the hands of those from whom you turned in disgust. And they shall deal with you in hatred, and take away all the fruit of your labor, and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Your lewdness and your whoring have brought this upon you, because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister. Therefore I will give her cup into your hand. Thus says the Lord God, You shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision, for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink it and drain it out and gnaw its shards and tear your breasts. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. That takes us through verse 35 of the text, the judgment against Aholabob beginning to be cried out by Ezekiel. Pastor Hull, one of the things that, that stands out to me is, is how the Lord says, okay, you loved these people, you loved these idols, the, the nations and their false gods, and you thought that they were your friends, you thought they were going to help you, but now I'm going to turn them against you and show you really who they truly are. It's not that the Lord, when, when he you know, sends the Babylonians against the southern kingdom mm. or the Assyrians against the northern kingdom, it's not like the Lord was making them do something that they didn't want to do already. The, the Babylonians and the Assyrians were never really wanting to be friends with Judah. They wanted to take their land. And, and so, I mean, the Lord shows his people who these nations really are. And in so doing, he shows us what idols truly are. They make these promises that sound great, but in the end, they're enemies that, that would only, uh, how did you say it? Drain us, I think was the way you, you said it earlier. They, right. they only want to drain us. And, and here he shows his people that in, in its full truth. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. <laughs> when you're reading each verse, it's like, stop it. Just stop. Please stop. You know, when you're kind of go, but it's like, well, stop it then. If you want me to stop talking about it, then stop. My wife and I right now are watching this show on Netflix called Midnight Mass. It's kind of like a, it's like a horror type, um, you know, pretty dark, but they're very liturgically minded in it. It's amazing. They're very particular about how it's about a Roman Catholic church in this little island. But there's one character, the show starts with him killing someone in a drunk driving accident. And, you know, he goes to prison. And he comes out an atheist because he wanted to find an answer from God. Obviously, he didn't read Ezekiel 23. Because that's the reality is he clung to the booze like St. Paul condemns in Ephesians 5, right? Don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery. You know, don't let that consume you and define you. So this guy does that. And then who does he blame? He says, God's at fault. It's God's fault this happened. No, it's your fault that this happened. You were the one that did it. And that's what God's saying here through Ezekiel is I, I, I continue calling you. I continue giving you what is good, yet you think you're going to have it good here. And it, it, it rings of that Romans one. It gave them over to the, the desires of their heart, the lusts of their heart in Romans 1. And you see that here, that God is saying, it, finally, maybe this will wake you up. I'll let you see how bad the stuff you love really is, how bad those substances are, how bad that worry and anxiety is that you cling to, how bad those politicians are that you love so much. You know, a Republican wins, you think God loves us. A Democrat wins, God hates us, or some silly thing like that. 
I'll give you what you are desiring and you'll see how bad it is. No one loves you except me. <laughs> and, and that reality, no one loves you unconditionally except me. And God sends these things to wake us up to that. Right. But sadly, I, we don't. Well, and that, yeah, that's, that's quite true that we, we often don't wake up to the Lord's repentance call. And, and that, I mean, reading a chapter like this, Again, it's it's easy to to fixate, I think, on the very graphic nature of Ezekiel's language, but that would be to miss the point. Rather, to to see the true point would be to see how how much the Lord cares about these people, so that that He uses such language, so that then we would turn and examine our own lives for maybe wherever those blind spots may be. I mean, I think it's it's really easy for for you and for me sitting here. Oh, this was what Ezekiel is five nineties BC, so it's over twenty five, almost twenty six hundred years later. And it's right. easy for us to see. Oh, I, I can't believe that these people didn't didn't get it, but but how how easily we miss our own blind spots. And, mm-hmm. and if the Lord does not return first, someone, you know, twenty five hundred years from now, Lord willing, He will return before that. But but however, right, yeah. you know, they're looking back on you and me. I can't believe Pastor Hall and Pastor Pastor Apple didn't see those blind spots in their own lives. And and that's where a text like this, you know, has to turn our eyes upon our own lives to examine ourselves. So that so that we would turn in repentance and then in faith toward our Lord. Well, and that that's the beautiful part of it is the preaching of repentance never stops. It's always happening, and it, it's happening because, well, it's like when you read the apology on original sin, and you get toward the end of it, Melanchthon makes the point: Why do we emphasize the depravity of man so much? Is that we may know what our Lord Christ did on the cross for us. If the cup of wrath is sweet, then what did Jesus actually do for us? No, it is bitter. You see this? Her cup will be put into your hand. That reality, you will get this. And what does our Lord Jesus do? He comes and takes the cup as his own, and he drains it, dregs all, everything drained, the full wrath of the Father against our sin. But that doesn't mean anything if you're not really sinful. The gospel only matters to those who have really tried keeping the law this week. I have attempted, I have, with all my might, sought to live a righteous life this week, and I have failed. Only the one who knows they have failed hears the sweetness of the gospel. If you've reveled in your sin and you've justified it yourself, then the gospel doesn't mean anything. It's not good news. It's just news. It's another perspective on something, but not the news that you need to hear. So why do chapters like this exist? Why is it some Sundays you go, why was the pastor so hard about things? Well, maybe because you need to hear it. Don't get mad about it. Don't don't get fussy about it. You needed to hear that today. Not the guy across the street, not the person who slept in. You yourself, who the Holy Spirit called to be here today, needed to hear that for your own benefit, for your good, so that you may abide in the fullness of Christ's love for you. And that transforms you. Being loved by God transforms you to love others, to love people. Like earlier I mentioned, our our Missouri Synod, uh, a certain book I was reading. Was it right of me to call it out here? Probably not. But what do I do? We seek fellowship with each other, unity with each other, love for each other. It's not a condescending or a critique. It's a reality of let's walk faithfully together, loved by God, loved by Christ. Let us forsake anything that could be wrong with all of us and see each other as brothers and sisters who are equally loved according to the 
blood, wounds, and death of Jesus. You know, I think this this text, as as we will see when we conclude it, there's really not any explicit gospel in this chapter, unlike some mm-hmm. other chapters of Ezekiel, where toward the end, you know, the, in chapter 16 in particular, where the similar image comes up, you, you get a call of restoration, redemption toward the very end. It's not going to happen in this chapter. But but what you're talking about. This this matter of you know the Lord's calling us out of these things that we would use as idols. I, I do think that there is a the, the gospel's at least in the background there, and it's it's in I think verse twenty seven where the Lord says you know I'm doing this so that you won't lift your eyes up to them to to the lewdness the whoring, and so that you won't remember Egypt anymore. I mean that's that's a good thing that that we wouldn't remember the sins of our youth. The, the you know Egypt anymore the place where we were slaves God doesn't want us to remember those things at least not for the sake of continuing in them He wants to call us out of those places and so I mean again there's not going to be that explicit the Lord's going to restore His people in this chapter but in the purposes that He gives that is that He would not have His people remember Egypt anymore and the idolatry that they committed there that is a ultimately a gospel purpose He does that alien work in order to do the proper work of forgiving our sins. Exactly. And and keeping in mind as we walk through this too, that's one of the um, best hymns in our hymnal, the law of God is good and wise. <laughs> the reality is the law is a good thing for you in all of its functions, first, second, and third. It's good for you. It's always for your benefit. It's never to, it's never because God hates you. It's because he loves you. That's right, yeah, and and so the fact that he is speaking here through Ezekiel, even in in these very graphic, harsh ways, that is a sign of his love, because he is continuing to speak, to give his word, to call his people to repentance. Let's let's pick up the rest of this chapter. We're now in Ezekiel 23, starting again at verse 36. The Lord said to me, Son of man, will you judge Ahola and Aholaba? Declare to them their abominations. For they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. With their idols they have committed adultery, and they have even offered up to them for food the children whom they had borne to me. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar, to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and with men of the common sort, drunkards were brought from the wilderness. And they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. Then I said of her who was worn out by adultery, now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her, for they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went into Ahola and to Aholaba, lewd women. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteresses and with the sentence of women who shed blood, because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. For thus says the Lord God, Bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and a plunder. And the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land, that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. 
and they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. That is, that's the rest of Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 36 through 49 there. So Pastor Hall, again, strong language from the prophet. He continues this very yeah. strong preaching. Uh, right away in this section, one thing that stands out to me is the way that the Lord connects the idolatry, so the sins against God, with the sins against neighbor. Now, the, the one in particular that gets mentioned, and this has been brought up by Ezekiel previously, is the child sacrifice, the worship of the, mm-hmm. the god Molech. But but even broader than that, you know, he says blood is on their hands here. It's, I think it's a good reminder, again, idolatry. Like what's the big deal if, if, I, if I worship an idol here and there? It's, it's not hurting anyone else. Well, it is a sin against God. And as we see here in Ezekiel 23, and so often, it does end up hurting neighbor as well. Those two things are, are intimately connected, sins against God and sins against neighbor. It's Again, mm-hmm. it makes the point, it is a big deal. Idolatry is a big deal. Well, and, and that's the thing. We, we've forgotten this. I can't remember. There's a book I just finished. I believe it's called Me, Myself, and I. Mm-hmm. It's about Luther's theology of idolatry. And I think CPH, if I recall, CPH published it. I think you're right. Um, it's a good book. But a fant- fantastic book on on the realities of idolatry. And when you read Luther, his sermons, his writings, it, so much of it is just first commandment stuff. When you read the large catechism, he, he makes the point, all the other commandments are a commentary on the first commandment. And it, when this commandment is kept, all the rest are. But the thing is, it's not. Therefore, all these other commandments fall too, both the first and second tables of the law. And it's 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 amazing as you read this text, like you said, oh, we look back 2,500 years and go, how could they have done this? We're even worse. I mean, we've probably stood by because there's two types of evil, right? Those who do the evil and those who are silent while evil is being done. And I'd say the one that are silent while evil is being done are even worse because you don't have the courage, you know, because you're just you just either don't care or you don't want to be accused of something. You don't want to stand and confess. You don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to die. But remember, Jesus calls us to come and die. Die in him that we may live in him forever. And that's what you do in this world. You die to this world. So stop acting like it. We ask that of the confirmands, right? Will you suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from the faith? And they all go, yes, of course. Why? Because they're dumb teenagers and they don't know any better. Of course you're going to do things for the world. If death was really a reality for us here in America because of the faith, who knows what we would do? The reality is you do go after the world. When do you get married? Well, once I have all of my life figured out. Why does all of that stuff matter all of a sudden? Why does the world get to define these things for you? Why does the world get to define the proper amount of children to have? Two and a half is the perfect number. I'm still looking for that half child. I haven't found them yet, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know what the half part is, but the thing is, why is this the definition of it? Why, why does the world get to define us? We have invited the child sacrifice in. I said that one time when I walked into a church and the last two pews said reserved for uh, parents with small children. I said, bless Balak. And of course they looked at me and I was like, ah, hyperbole is my gift. But seriously, everybody, why do you shove the kids in the back? When really Jesus is the one who put him in his lap and said, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why have you become worldly? You're just as bad. And maybe this text should be read at every ordination and installation. 
the entire 49 verses. And then the cry can come from the circuit visitor or district president, repent for this man is here to care for you. I don't know. Maybe that's too much. Well, Ezekiel is, as you were talking there, it is a reminder that Ezekiel has been called by the Lord to be a watchman. And the job of the watchman is to cry out to give the warning. And when the warning is not sounded, not, I mean, what what happens? Certainly the prophet right. is held responsible, but the people who were sinning still die. And I mean, yeah. that's that's why the watchman's there is to cry these things out, lest lest they, you know, run after the world. And I, you see a, a picture here of running after the world where, you know, it's verse verse 40 and following, where you, you mm-hmm. see the way, I mean, the, the people of, of Jerusalem are willing to to dress up for these idols and put on their best. You know, they're, they're willing to to take on those ways of the world. But but for the Lord, I mean, they've as he, as he said previously, they've turned their back on him. And that that remains the temptation for us still today, no doubt. I've I've said many times to my parish, I've said, it's not going to be Attila, but Odysseus that gets you. And what I mean by that is the sin is not going to come like Attila the Hun did over the over the hill and everyone in Rome sees him coming, you know, and you see the the horde behind him. It's going to be like Odysseus hiding in the in the horse. He's going to you're going to bring him into the walls. And that's the reality. Don't trust the Greeks. Don't trust. What is it? What was the phrase? Do not trust Greeks. Bearing gifts from gifts. The Greek? Greeks bearing gifts. That's there for a reason. When your pastor warns you, he's saying, hey, it's not going to be this huge thing. It's going to be subtle. It's going to be that way. So you watch, you keep guard like Luther ends the third commandment with your heart cannot be idle for the devil then does his damage before you realize it. Have the word of God. And I failed at this. That's my confession today. When's the last time I read Ezekiel 23 in preparation for talking with you today? Did I read it before this? No, not really. <laughs> and, and that is a sin I must repent of. That instead, I busied myself critiquing brother pastors, reading fiction, watching TikTok, watching Netflix, watching movies, instead of abiding in God's word. And it is a sin to not do that. And we invite all of these other things into our life instead of abiding in the house of the Lord, rather being a doorkeeper in his house than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Pastor Hall, in the last several verses of this chapter, verses 46 and following, Ezekiel preaches concerning the judgment that will come. And of course, we know what Babylon does to Jerusalem and Judah, the destruction that they bring and how awful it was. As we read this today and think about this, should we, I mean, should verses like this bring to mind ultimately the final judgment as the way God is calling us, uh, you know, warning us and a call to repentance so that we would avoid that final judgment? That's where you get the apocalyptic nature of a lot of Ezekiel. Yes, it is the final judgment that's coming, but it's also the judgments that happen here. That's what we confess, right? Temporal and eternal punishment. And that reality is God is caring about you right now because he also cares for you unto eternity. Like when Jesus tells the official in John 4, your son lives. He lives right now. Not that he will live eternally, but he lives right now, too. Your eternal life has begun. There's no expiration date for you in Christ. Outside of Christ, you get to drink the cup of your older sister's wrath. You get to drink the cup of wrath that the the, the Israelites didn't learn from. And now you drink it. Or Christ is the one that does. Not that there's some choice here. Die. 
just stop. That's why the voice keeps going and going. It's like a mother constantly telling a child what they're doing is wrong. Stop doing it. (laughs) And listen, listen to the voice of your pastor who, like Ezekiel, cries out the warning because God loves you. If God didn't love you, he wouldn't send the watchman. He just lets you be devoured. That's right. Pastor Hull, we've got about three minutes left on the morning. As we reflect upon Ezekiel 23, the the harsh words, the graphic words of judgment that are given here, how should we take them to heart as Christians today? And, and how does a chapter even like this serve the purpose of Scripture of giving faith in Christ? The reality is there is much to repent of. Let us not water down our own depravity either by looking back at these people and saying, what terrible people, what an abomination. I would never have done that. I'm not Judas. I'm not Peter. I'm not Thomas. I would never doubt or betray or deny Christ. Yes, you do on a daily basis. You reject him every day. Repent. Take heart. Jesus died for people who reject him. He didn't die once we got our act together. While we were still being enemies, wicked sinners, Jesus died for us. He died for you. And on the cross, he saw every moment from conception to the last breath. He saw every one of them and said, they are mine. Those failures, mistakes, those whoring after other idols, those abiding days in other tents, those are mine now. And he wrapped himself up in them that you may be wrapped up in his righteousness, that you may dwell in his father's tent, his house, his mansion unto eternity. All that has been done for you. Don't water down the sin, because all you're doing is watering down the Savior. The sin is great, but greater still is God's abundant favor for you. Thanks be to God for that. Pastor Chris Hall is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 1 to 49. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, always fun times with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.